Welcome to Spotlight, a PEI Group podcast that delves into the very latest in private markets investing. I'm Adam Lay, Senior Editor in London, and this is Private Markets and the End of Cheap Money. The rising cost of borrowing is causing headaches for GPs and making M&A activity much trickier, as we explored in our previous episode. If you haven't yet, I'd recommend going back and listening to that first one. In today's episode, we look at how the rising cost of debt is affecting institutional investors and their portfolios. In the near term, higher rates have already led to fewer exits from existing portfolios, slower capital distributions, elongated holding periods, and weaker performance. So, are investors thinking about altering the makeup of their portfolios because of this? And in the longer term, how are LPs rethinking their manager selection strategies? Chris Wachowski, editor of PEI Group publication Buyouts, has spent the last few months asking LPs these very questions and more. Right, Chris? That's right. Now, most eyes in the finance world have turned to central banks as they've increased interest rates over the past few months. As rates rise... Deal-making is slowing because financing is becoming more expensive. Slowing deal-making also means slowing exit activity, which means less capital flowing back to LP coffers, leaving them with less money for new commitments. Potentially, this will lead to some LPs tweaking their asset allocations. The head of private equity at a large New York-based insurance company we spoke to said his institution is allocating more capital to fixed income in the current higher rate environment. Jim Pittman, Global Head of Private Equity at British Columbia Investment Management Corp., told us alternatives exposure likely will fall a bit in favor of strategies like fixed income. I think what you've seen over the past dozen years is it doesn't pay to be in fixed income, really. You know, like at 1%, 2%, 0% negative interest rates, you know, when you're trying to hit sort of a 7% plus or minus return for the fund overall, as you see over the past 10 years, most of that was driven by infrastructure, private equity. You know, that's the area and there's a lot of volatility in the public markets. So anytime that we can actually allocate more money towards bonds, investment grade bonds, fixed income, it's a critical part of hitting your sort of 7% bogey. So with an increasing interest rate environment, we don't need to have as much private assets per se. And in that mix, you know, if you can get more bonds and investment grade bonds in particular, and other government fixed income paying 2 3 4 5%, you can actually dial down the risk of your portfolio slightly. And you will see that happen for sure in many of the pension plans if the interest rates stay moderately high. 15 years ago, you could easily have 60-40. And, you know, 40% in fixed income was a great trade for many, many years. Right now, you see many pension plans, 50%, 55% allocated to private markets. I'm sure that will probably come down 5% if interest rates, if there's an expectation that, that they will stay in the 3 4 5% rather than the 0 1%, 2% range. This isn't to say that fixed income is the only lever investors might choose to pull. Infrastructure, real assets, and private credit could also benefit from the higher rate environment, according to Craig Ferguson, Managing Director of Private Equity at Investment Management Corp of Ontario. We're starting to see you know, on the credit side and the infrastructure side, more and more attractive opportunities. And we do have capital to invest in growing programs in both of those verticals. And so I think that's where, you know, when you look at the sort of opportunistic investing can be a little 
more pointed in some of those areas, you know, in addition to private equity, where we look for like go privates that are trading at attractive values. That's a playbook that we follow. You know, we do see in real assets and in credit, that same dynamic where the market dislocation is causing attractive risk return opportunities for those strategies. And, and we're taking advantage. Then we have direct investment teams and we have fund partners in both of those verticals. So it's very similar to the private equity story, if you will. We're investing in a credit fund that takes advantage of the softer bank market, the softer syndicated loan market in the U.S., where the dislocation and spreads have widened, you know, quality of the issuer is still high, and there's a market opportunity. So we absolutely are, and we will continue to kind of use our toolkit across the asset classes to take advantage of those opportunities, for sure. To be clear, one thing we have not heard is a desire among LPs to abandon their movement into greater exposure to private equity. Rather... Allocation tweaks likely will happen at the margins. As the insurance LP told me, and I quote, my allocation is staying the same because we want to make sure to have good vintage year diversification, end quote. Having said that, changes are coming in the way LPs are approaching private equity. Many systems are slowing their pace of commitments to private equity into next year. While this doesn't change their allocation mix, it will cause them to focus on fewer managers. Many systems are dealing with overexposure to private equity, which because of its illiquid nature doesn't move in lockstep with public markets. As the prices and value of public holdings fall, private equity only changes quarter by quarter, and even then valuation marks don't swing too wildly. This in effect causes private equity to grow as a percentage of the total fund and in many cases grow beyond policy caps. Oregon State Pension System, for example, one of the oldest and most prolific LPs in the market, was looking for ways to reduce its allocation to the asset class, according to the system's investment consultant, Makeda, in a memo. The system's allocation to private equity stood at more than 27% at the end of the second quarter, well above its 20% target. Alaska Permanent Fund, meanwhile, decided to slow its commitment pace to private equity. The system is contending with PE valuations that it does not believe appropriately reflect the state of the markets. I'll read directly from comments CIO Marcus Frampton said at the fund's annual meeting in September 2022. And I quote, We're taking it slow in private equity because we have not seen as much of a reset in valuations, he said. These two situations underscore the increasing frustration being felt across the LP community. The overexposure issue is being exacerbated by GPs holding their valuation marks fairly steady through the second quarter, not showing the kind of performance declines happening in public holdings or even in fixed income. So Chris, valuation gaps between buyers and sellers, this was cited in our previous episode as something that was causing friction in the M&A market. That's right. Some LPs believe that GPs are not taking the write downs that they need to to better reflect the reality of the markets. And this is causing potentially is causing some friction in the LP GP relationship. So this is something we've been watching. And now we are waiting for third quarter marks to see if they better reflect the reality of the market. And okay, how about fundraising? How's that being affected? Fundraising has slowed, especially compared to the past years, which I would describe as a bull market in private equity fundraising. Interestingly enough, this may come as a relief to many LPs who have been overburdened by a huge influx in funds and re-ups. There's been a broad slowdown in M&A activity, and with fewer exits and less money coming back to LPs, the pressure is really on to find liquidity for new commitments to GPs, or even just to fund capital calls that GPs are making on new investments, or those generated from expiring subscription lines of credit on deals made six months or a year ago. These factors have put intense pressure on LPs who, don't forget, are still trying to do their primary job of finding great funds to back. The risk to the industry now is that some institutions rethink their dedication to private equity, which has been one of the more popular destinations for institutional investor money in the era of cheap debt. 
Andrea Auerbach, Global Head of Private Investments at Cambridge Associates, a consultancy that advises institutional investors on their portfolio investments, told me that LPs are battling to keep their private markets exposure within their allocation ranges as public markets continue to drop. I don't think GPs understand the pressure that LPs are under because LPs have to manage their own program and they have to manage it within approved guidelines in terms of target allocations, max target. So what's the knock-on effect of this sort of pressure on LPs? Drew Shart, head of global investment strategy and co-head of investment and direct credit at Hamilton Lane, says that ultimately in private equity land, it means less money to go around. I do think general partners, as you're pointing out, are having a bit of a rude awakening where it's no longer good enough just to say, well, my performance has been good. And historically, when that's happened, you've given me double your last commitment. And so why isn't that continuing to be the case? And so I think many general partners are recognizing it's not solely about them and their performance. So how is this playing out within the LP community? One LP we spoke to, Ream Alternatives, a multifamily office based in Germany, said it was pretty confident its portfolio wouldn't take too much of a hit from rising interest rates. The GPs it is invested in have all demonstrated the ability to deliver alpha amid prior crises and because they use no or very low leverage. But it is planning on cutting back on new manager commitments in 2023 to reduce risk. Here's Philippe Roche, Ream's managing partner. He was speaking to us over a messaging app, so the audio quality isn't great, but it's useful to hear it in his own words. We will do all the re-ups for all the GPs, but in terms of new GP relationships, definitely we will do this year less than what we would do in a normal year. Like many other LPs, we are probably going to build up less GP, less new GP relationships this year than what would have been planned end of last year, for instance, when we had already our plan to commit in 2022. And I would suspect that 2023, at least the first half year, will be the same. LP reactions to these various pressures depend on their state of growth as PE investors. Are they well-established or are they growing? Here's Andrea Auerbach again. For an established program, you're probably pretty good just sitting tight, being careful with your re-ups, and then let your program do the work for you, right? You've put in a lot of effort to build a program, let it go to work for you in this moment. And we've done analysis on this. And if you were to step out of the market a little bit for a little while with an established portfolio, you really aren't taking a big hit to your returns. So how about an investor that's still in the early stages of building out its private markets program? If you're an LP that is building an allocation or maybe doubling an allocation, right? Maybe additional funding has come in or your entity has decided, you know what? We want to double up. We want to add more private exposure. Now is not the time to sit it out. Because if you do, we all know you can't time the private markets. But during periods of this kind of volatility, a natural tendency might be let's step back. Maybe we would just want to see, et cetera. For those building emerging programs, what you really want to think about is I need to continue to get regular, consistent exposure into these vintage years going forward. It may not seem obvious at first, but in our box view, if you're an LP building up your program right now, in some ways, the world is your oyster. If you're not up against Target and you have no funding issues, things aren't as bad as they might seem. Lots of managers still have access, and in our box words, very well-regarded, high-performing GPs still have room on their bus. If you're building a program, you're not at Target by definition, but you have funding issues, then I think it's worth exploring how to solve that problem. 
to get through the capital calls of this moment. It could be getting a revolver of your own. It could be exploring some form of liquidity on your existing book. We often say what history may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. What I think about a lot is what's different about this market today. As Auerbach indicates here, there is money to be found in the market. While some systems are pulling back on PE, others are waiting in the wings to take up the slack. Craig Ferguson of Investment Management Corp of Ontario, who we heard from earlier, says the system is ready with capital to find great opportunities. We are bringing a two-pronged approach to the market. So we are investing in funds, in leading managers, primarily in North America and also Europe. But we're building a large direct investment capability that focuses on partnering with those managers, being a large investor in their fund, being a large co-investor, co-underwriter in their transactions. And so we are looking for differential relationships. And I think the market is feeling a little bit soft, if you will, for managers that are raising in 2022. A lot of them are stretching their closing dates into 2023 to try to get additional allocation from institutions. We will probably commit circa $2 billion this year to managers. A lot of that is re-up capital, although we are adding selective managers. Uh, and then we will continue you know, next year allocating significant amounts. And I think that differentiates us in the market. We try to build relationships with these GPs before they're in market. You know, If I was to offer advice to any of the GPs listening, it would be to call us before you come to market. Because when, once you're in market, the window gets fairly short and you're in a transactional mode and it's a little more difficult. The market today will be a test for managers to see how well they're able to navigate through the cycle. Those able to adapt to the change environment may have strong opportunities in front of them, according to Pittman from British Columbia Investment Management Corp. I think that the debt markets have been fairly easy to managers in terms of both pricing and covenants. As a backdrop, the environment has been very favorable. You know, how prepared are they? I would sort of say the newer GPs probably are less prepared than the ones that have been around for 10, 20 years. But I would say in broad terms, as long as the managers have at least two years of runway, preferably three years of runway in their debt documents in terms of before maturities occur, and maturities is probably the key phrase at this point, if they have three years of runway, they have plenty of time to reset their debt if they have to. You know, There are no covenants or very, very few covenants in most debt documents. So that's actually a big benefit to those managers on an interim basis. And we saw that during COVID too, right? When uh, my risk team comes down and says, hey, COVID's happening, what's happening with your portfolio? The first thing we look to is what's the debt maturity profile of the largest exposures we have. I think many of us track that religiously and many of our managers have learned to track that religiously and, and actually update their debt documents every year or two. So with LPs interested in finding new funds, what are they looking for out of managers in today's market? Here's Andrea Auerbach from Cambridge again. I would say as an investor, my capital is also very dear to me. And so if I'm going to invest in a manager, I'm looking for clues and evidence, really evidence, not clues, that this manager is capable of investing through this market environment. So it's not just about, oh, you have operating partners. It's more, okay, what exactly do they do with the portfolio companies? And can I talk to them and, and really get a better sense myself as a prospective investor that you have the necessary skills to navigate this environment? I would say if you really have to boil it down, what we're looking for are GPs that understand the environment has changed, have already added or are building the capabilities to navigate through it and are rolling up their sleeves. And that may also translate into folks who have experience investing through cycles. 
Imco's Craig Ferguson says the pension system he works for backs managers that have demonstrated the ability to navigate through cycles. We have been focused on adding managers and investing directly in transactions where we feel there's resiliency over a cycle. That's part been part of our underwriting from the get-go. It's value is super important, but I think that is a market factor which we try to take advantage of. The actual businesses we're focused on and the managers we're focused on are those that can create value in an up and a down market by executing their value creation plans inside these businesses and then selling them. And if it's not at a higher multiple, you still get an acceptable outcome, you know, for example, right? For years and years, the last five years at least, people have been very used to getting the more than acceptable outcomes because the multiples went up. You know, we're trying to play the other side of that coin and say, okay, what if multiples go down? Is this still an acceptable outcome? And I think that's a, a big focus of a lot of market participants in these kinds of environments today. For Hamilton Lane's Drew Shart, the market has become one in which LPs are looking for managers with specific edges or themes to what kind of companies they pursue. So in other words, the strategies, the managers, the geographies, the types, the sizes of companies you're choosing are going to have a much greater impact over the next three to five years in particular of how your overall portfolio is going to fare. And that's very different than what we've seen, again, over the last 15 years, where it's sort of been up and to the right no matter which asset class you chose. And so what I would say from a thematic and deal pickers market, yes, you have to pick strong assets and companies and management teams and sectors and fundamentals, but just as important as that asset picking is, what is the edge you have in that deal? What is the unique way you have to access that company, to be able to find it, to buy it, that others don't have? Because there's literally... 10 times as many companies of size and scale in the private landscape, it's a much more robust opportunity set than the public side where the numbers of companies is actually declining. And so if you can find those companies, if you can uniquely access them, and especially if you have unique information or insights into those businesses, those are the types of strategies and thesis that excite LPs and investors in terms of not just thinking you're getting a good sector in an industry, But boy, this manager really knows what they're doing in the space. They've run this playbook before. They've owned companies in a similar category. Those types of edges are really what need to be tandem with the asset itself in terms of quality and picking. All this is pointing to is a much tougher fundraising environment for GPs as LPs potentially shrink commitment sizes cut down on the number of GP relationships they have, maybe some even reduce their allocation targets to private equity. Though again, just to reiterate, we aren't seeing that en masse. It's just going to be a harder time, especially for those GPs that haven't demonstrated outperformance. The GPs at sort of the second tier level are going to have a much harder time. It's going to take a lot longer to raise those funds. They may have to adjust targets downwards. And for some GPs, they may even have to shelve plans for new product creation and things like that. It's going to be a lot different than the last decade has been in the fundraising world. We're not seeing LPs en masse shifting away from private equity to private markets to fixed income. Do you have any sense that that could happen at some point? Like in five years from now, PE allocations will come down, say, five percentage points and fixed income allocations will go up? Or maybe not five years, but like two years. For sure. And I think it also could depend on the type of institution. For instance, a family office has a much longer term horizon, is not on the hook for obligations to retirees, for instance, or like an endowment on the hook for uh, obligations to a university. And so for something like a family office, they can have a a much broader, longer term view. For something like a pension or maybe even an insurance company, you could definitely see allocation shifting 
But as it seems right now, those shifts are not going to be big, major moves. They're going to be something like two or three percentage points here or there. Definitely into fixed income, and that's what we're hearing about. But as one of our sources said, infrastructure, real assets are also going to be beneficiaries of this. And so five years from now, it's hard to say what it's going to look like five years from now. Next year, two years from now, certainly allocation mixes could shift slightly in that way. But again, I think one thing that's been demonstrated here is this kind of LP commitment to private equity as an industry, as an asset class. There's no sense that is changing in any big way. My last question is kind of theoretical, I guess. Why would an LP really care about, you know, the denominator effect and valuations? Like, surely that's just all on paper. And at the end of the day, all they care about is not the value of the portfolio, but the returns they're getting from it. So why would they really care, I guess, about valuations? It's a great question. And it's one that the answer is different now than it was during the GFC, for example. During the GFC, many LP institutions panicked because they were going above their policy targets. And there was a lot of, at least talk about emergency selling on the secondaries market, things like that to get target back in balance. I think a lot of institutions learn from that. And these days, there's no panic moves that we've seen. Over allocation discussions have happened all over the summer. So over a period of months, rather than just in one sort of emergency meeting to deal with this. For many LPs, it's not an emergency. For public pension systems, it's a policy target. It's something that is set in some places by the legislature. These are caps that are put in place in order to achieve the right sort of risk management that the system wants to have in place. And when that goes out of whack, a lot of different things are triggered. A lot of money has to shift around, for instance. So that's why it's important for a public pension system to make sure that it stays in balance. However, as I mentioned, these institutions aren't panicking, not that we've seen. And that's why we're not seeing a lot of changes to the allocation mix. And so really, you're right in a sense that, as we know with private equity, because it's such a long-term view, things will inevitably snap back to where they need to be. Write-downs will come in a portfolio. It just happens over a number of quarters, not just overnight in one quarter. And so those allocation mixes will balance out on their own over time. And I think what we're seeing from a lot of systems is they're not panicking and, and many of them are just going to let it happen. Some systems that we've seen have shifted their allocation targets upward and so they've given themselves more room. We haven't seen a lot of secondary selling at all. Part of that is because pricing, because the buyers are demanding such a steep discount. Because buyers believe that write downs are coming, they're not looking at second quarter valuation marks. They're trying to look ahead and anticipate what write downs are going to look like and so buyers are demanding discounts on LP portfolio sales. And so we have not seen a lot of secondary selling either. Seems that a lot of systems are just kind of standing pat and just letting the cycle play out. That's all for this installment. On our next episode, we look at the private credit market and how rising interest rates are leading to a boom for this asset class. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or listen at any of PEI Group's various titles online, such as Buyouts or Private Equity International. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and review. I'm Adam Lay. Thanks for listening.